Well, this week our guest is joining us via Zoom because that's just the way things are going these days. So please pardon any sound interruptions or any kind of weirdness that happens because it's sort of inevitable with technology and whatnot. But she's a trooper. She's, you know, we, we, we're getting there. because I've done, I've done a thousand podcasts over Zoom and I've never, I was like, what am I doing wrong? It was me. Ugh. Totally me. I had to click the join with computer audio. So I started a meeting that I wasn't listening to. My bad. It's <laughs> great. <Whoops. laughs> Hi, Hi, we're starting off strong. I, you probably know this because you've known me a long time, but it's Tossy because uh, 95% of the beginning of every podcast that I do is me going, actually, it's Tossy. So <laughs> what do people <laughs> try to do? They say Tosi every time. Come Every on. time. Come on, dummies. Yep. Um, I know. Now I'm going to say Tosi just to piss you off, but it's Tosi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I won't do Monster. it. <laughs> I am. Okay. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles and at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat! Joining us via Zoom, because life, is our guest, actor, writer, comedian, and VO artist Valerie Tossi. Before the world fell apart, she made her late-night debut on Conan, and as an actor, she's appeared in a viral commercial for Lyft with Kevin Hart and Ice Cube, was featured on The Joel McHale Show, I love him, on Netflix, and was a guest on Stand Against Evil on IFC. All you nerds are going to freak out. You may recognize Valerie's voice from her work on scripted podcasts, animation projects, and several ad campaigns, including Google Home Mini. Her pilot, Maltergeist, was a quarter finalist in the 2021 Nashville Film Festival. As a stand-up, she tours the country regularly, bringing her delightfully relatable stories to clubs and festivals. And the most exciting news is her new album, Beach Trash, just dropped on January 21st. And the clips I've heard are hilarious, so grab the album immediately. I better know Valerie through Second City when we roamed the halls and interned around the same time and got to share the stage together a time or two. So, Valerie, tell us, how did you get into stand-up? How, why did you stop improv and move over to that world? Do you miss it? How was Kevin Hart nice? Tell us, tell us all the things. <laughs> well, first of all, God, I sound good on paper. Right? Uh, <laughs> it's a good bio. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. And our good friend Lisa Curry helped me brainstorm that bio because uh, we all know talking about yourself feels gross. It so, um, and, uh, and now, excuse me while I talk about myself. So, <laughs> I. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we, we went through Second City together, which was so fun. And um, I moved out to L.A. when I was 23 and got to uh, L.A. on a Monday and started at Second City that Friday and was there for a long time, for years, and doing improv and sketch and musical improv and all that jazz. And I, I, I always try to explain to people when they ask me, like, what I like better, improv or sketch, or excuse me, improv or stand-up. And I always tell them, I'm like, well, you know when you, like, fall in love for the first time and it's like really heavy and like and it's like consuming and it's like you're like oh I'm, I'm gonna feel like this forever and like that's how I was with improv and then you break up because of course you do and then you meet somebody else and you're like oh this is what love feels like <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about improv and stand-up where like I still you know I'm, I'm thankful and grateful for my time doing improv and sketch I still love it but like stand-up is you know, that's like where it's at for me. 
Was that an experience you had the second you walked onto your first open mic? I mean, what was your very first stand-up experience like that had you know that? So I had a lot of people for a long time be like, you should try stand-up. I think you'd be good at it. And I was like, ugh, no thanks. I don't want to be one of those sad sacks. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like a lot of people that do stand-up have wanted to do it since they were a young age. Like, you know, so many dudes are like, I've been watching, you know, uh, Bill Burr since I was a kid and whatever. And just like, bitches. And they (laughs) like, they just like can't. Like that's, that's kind of their, how they got there. I was a reluctant stand-up comedian. Like I did not ever have the drive until I was 29 is when I started. And I took a class because I felt really stuck in my career and like I needed something that I could control. And that's kind of why I love stand-up so much is because it is very much a lone wolf thing, but in where you don't have to wait for anyone's permission, you kind of just do it. And uh, I took a class. I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I kind of just never looked back. I love that a lot. And you, so the class is where you sort of got your first taste. So did you bomb on stage in the class? Cause I've every comic I know the first time they, except for maybe one, the first time they got on stage, they were like, this is home. And also my jokes were terrible. Did you feel that way? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first time, so like my kind of, so my first, my first show was our class show, which was a very like warm and supportive environment. And it's set up. So you succeed, Right. But the first show I did outside of class, uh, oh God. I, first of all, I, ha- I have it on tape. It is uploaded into my YouTube account and I still cannot bring myself to watch it. It's set to private. I am in a dress. Why? Why am I wearing a dress? Uh, the jokes are like, I I think people when they start stand-up, they, they think they know what it is and they try to emulate other people. So it's just me being like, oh, I know stand-up. I know women that do stand-up. I'm just going to be a bitch on stage. And it's so bad. It's oh, so wow. bad. So oh, yeah, it's really bad. So did you just go after the audience or what do you mean you, you were you that no, way? No, I was just like, I was just cunty. You know what I mean? <laughs> like where you like, and but I luckily was self-aware enough to go back and like when I watched that set, like, you know, within that week that it happened, I was like, oh, I hate this person. You know, I was like, I don't want to be that on stage at all. So I was lucky that I kind of figured that out pretty fast and kind of tweaked and then, you know, just completely changed the way that I approached it. I think once I was outside of class, I just felt like it was, I don't know, like you have to like put on a performance hat, even though stand up is just like, yeah, some people have like shticks, but mostly it's just you being yourself. So is that what your brand is now? Is that what you would say? You being you? Yeah, I'm I'm really not any different on stage than I am off stage. I feel like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm really not. And so would you, as you found the more time you were putting on stage, was it like literally that first performance you were like, okay, I got to move away from the bitch brand? Or was it after a few times of performing, you were like, this just doesn't actually even feel like me? I think it was because of the material that I was trying to do. Like I had my, my strength then and even now is, is personal kind of storytelling, talking about my family, things like that. But when I was first starting, I I felt like I needed to kind of do more commentary on other things. And it just, I wasn't a good joke writer yet. You know, like it takes time to develop that. And I was like, I remember like one of my first bits was about, um, the Victoria's Secret semi-annual sale. And it was like literally like, like could it be more basic? Like it's literally like I was comparing the like discount bins to like troughs, you know, and just like all of a sudden, 
Which is like, and now it's like funny thinking about it, but the execution of it was so bad. You know what I mean? It's it's like, I have it like typed out on my computer still. It's like an old file. And I like, I look every time it pops up, I'm like, oh God, please kill me. <laughs> so how did you, when you were, because I, I guess the thing for me that's the most fascinating, fascinating with comics is that even when you're just completely just falling down and just like eating the stage and it's just the audience hates you, you still want to come back. Was there ever a moment when you were like, maybe not even stand up or has it always been home? I think I'm too stubborn to quit. Mm, That's honest. (laughs) You know, I like, of course I've bombed. We've all bombed. Anybody that says they've never bombed is a fucking liar. Like we've all bombed. And honestly, sometimes bombing is really fun because when you know you're bombing and you're in it, you're just like, I don't give a shit at this point. (laughs) And yeah, I just, I, yeah, I'm too stubborn. I, yeah, good, good luck getting me to quit. You guys. (laughs) Amazing. And so has stand up opened doors for you in the acting world? Do you feel? Oh yeah. I think stand up, I think made me more confident in pretty much every aspect of my life. You know, it 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 taught it made me be more fearless in kind of everything else. You know, in in improv and sketch and and just how I approached kind of everything. It's it is it's it's stand up. Like I said before, is very like you're in control of it. You don't have to ask permission. And I kind of used that like and migrated it over to other aspects of my life. Okay, so that is now. So that's present day. You're loving stand up. You're crushing it. And it was kind of a journey. But I have to ask. You landed in LA on a Monday and you were registered for Second City classes by Friday. What was the trajectory to get you? Did you know, were you like, when I get to LA, I'm doing improv or did someone have a random conversation with you? Like, how'd you do that? Oh, I will tell you. And it is a very fun story. So prior to me living in LA, uh, I was working at a bar. I was stressed about money and I was like, I, this isn't enough to sustain me. Like, what else can I do? Because my skill set was pretty limited, you know? And uh, a friend of mine that I did theater with in high school, his dad was the detective of our local police department. And he said, oh, well, we're hiring dispatchers. Uh, would you want to do that? And I was like, what do I need to do? And he's like, well, you need to do a psychiatric evaluation. And then this 30 page paperwork that you get notarized. And then that's it. And then we train you. And I was like, yes, I'm poor. And so (laughs) uh, I worked as a 911 dispatcher and uh, dispatched for fire, EMS and police for almost four years. I very quickly became their head dispatcher and was training people. Uh, I'm certified in like suicide prevention and domestic violence prevention and all this stuff. I know you're, you're, you can't see Kate's face, but she's like, (laughs) what? And during working and, and being unhappy and not knowing what I was doing with my life, uh, I was on an, I was on an overnight and I was watching, uh, I don't even remember what it was. It was like a documentary or something, but it involved Tina Fey and I loved her. And she was talking about her time at Second City. And I was like, what's that? And so I had already kind of had dreams about coming out to California. My best friend had lived out here for a few years, came back um, to help her sister through her first pregnancy and was planning on coming back to LA after she had the baby. So she's like, when you're ready, I'm ready. We'll go together. Well, we'll go, I'll go back and then you can go for the first time. So I saw this thing with Tina Fey and was like, what, what is Second City? What is that? And I looked it up and saw that obviously the original one is in Chicago, but they had a training center in LA. And I was like, okay. And I saw that they had a class like within like a couple of months. So I put down my deposit and was like, this is my, this is how I know I can't 
back out. I'm going. And so I signed up for class and then uh, drove cross country a couple months later. Nobody believed that I was really going to go. Nobody was home when I left because nobody believed me. So like when I like literally that night, the day that I took off, uh, my mom called me and she's like, hey, uh, we're from Boston. So this is the accent. Uh, <laughs> they're like, hey, are you coming home for dinner? I was like, D- no, mom. Why? Well, I'm driving, mom. Where are you going? Los Angeles, mom. I'm in Ohio right now. I'm not coming home. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, and it was wild. So was she pissed that she didn't believe you or was she like, how'd she react? I think my parents thought it was like I was going to drive cross country and be like, what have I done? And then come back. You know, Uh, I don't I really don't think not that they didn't have faith in me, but I just think that they were like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. You're going to whatever, you know, because my my dad at first when I told him that I was quitting the police department was like, are you out of your mind? You have a full time job with benefits and like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dad, I'm not happy. This isn't what I want. You know, if I stay here, this is my life. And that's great for some people. If that's what they want, fuck yeah. But for me, I was so unfulfilled and I was like, I got to get out of here. And so, yeah, I I left. Okay. And then just going back to my original questions, was Kevin Hart fun to work with and or nice? (laughs) (laughs) I have to know. He, He was. And it was wild because, you know, even back then when I did that commercial, he was super busy and, you know, he, he's even more busy now, but then they knew like Lyft knew they only had him for like, I think they had him for like an hour. Holy shit. So it was like wild because they had to shoot all of the stuff. Like they shot all my stuff, like all my close-ups and whatever before they even got there. So I had to like react to literally no one in the car. Oh like I was like doing, and then they had, they came in, we did all of the like wide shot scenes together and then they left. But they were really nice and super funny. Like, oh my God, they were so funny. When Ice Cube was in the back, just muttering shit under his breath. And he, there was one point where he said something about his balls and it was, I can't remember what it was, but it made me laugh so hard. Like it was really fun. And where can people find that commercial? Is it on YouTube somewhere? It's, I think it's still on YouTube. It might even, yeah, I know it's on my reel, but it's somewhere, but it's literally just the three of us in a car. And it's, it was wild. We shot it on a soundstage. It was, yeah, it was really neat. And the, and the way I literally got that gig too, which is so funny, my friend Leanne was, uh, had done like a spot for Lyft before and they really needed somebody that was a comedian because of who they were casting, you know, to be with. And so she like tossed my name in the ring and they called me up. They're like, Hey, you want to do this thing? And I was like, fucking, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Literally just like, yeah. So now the, now the journey hasn't always been easy. So folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps, but we're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break. (laughs) All right. We are back. And now it is time for the entrees. Okay, now, obviously... Get those chicken fingers ready, everybody. Get them them ready. You've had the spin dip. Now it's time for the chicken fingers. Okay, now I... I have a bajillion questions about the 911 thing, but we're going to get there because, my God. Um, Okay, so the very first question. What was your first job ever? My first job, uh, I was 14 years old. I talk about this on the album. I worked as a bus girl at the Hungry Traveler, which is a steak and seafood restaurant in my hometown of Salisbury, Mass. And I got the job because my mother was a waitress there. So I had to work with my mom. My God. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah, baby. (laughs) Was that awesome? Uh, Parts were awesome. Parts were a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) It was like... Like it was kind of fun because like my mom and I, we have a really like close relationship where it's like, I talk to her every day, you know? So she's, but it is like, but it was wild because my parents were out of their mind. So it was, 
you know, it could be a lot. Because if we were fighting about something and then we had to work together, oh my God, a nightmare. Forget it. Would she, would, did she have seniority there? I don't mean that in the, I don't mean, I'm not. Yeah, not like she had been there. She'd been there for a couple of years when I had finally uh, gotten hired there. And it's like, if you can imagine, picture like everybody hears those, those Massachusetts accents. This place was like, I mean, on another level, you know, it was like salt to the earth, every, like all the servers, but like there was, there was us kids that were there as like summer jobs and whatnot. But then there, so it was like kids and then like older women, like my parents' age that were just like, and how would you like, yeah, appetizer, <laughs> you know, just like very like, all right, so your choice of sides, you get baked rice, pilaf, Delmonico potato, <laughs> just very like, <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like it was on the way to the beach. So we would just get like all these tourists and like, Oh my God. Anytime you had a table that was French Canadian, we were all like, fuck, because like, I don't know if you know, I don't know if they know this here, but in, in Canada, it's like not, it's a lot like Europe where it, people actually make a living wage being a server. So they, they're not used to tipping. So like they would be super nice, but they wouldn't tip. And we'd be like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so did, was your mom part of the interview process for you getting the job? Like, did she I think she in? was just like, come on in, you're hired. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, Mel's kid? Yeah, come on in. And so how long did you work there? I worked there on and off for seven years. I was there a long time. I started, like I said, at 14 busing tables. Then they trained me to host and food run. Then when I was 18, they trained me to serve because you, you have to be 18 to handle alcohol. And then uh, when I was 21, they taught me to bartend. So I did, I did all of it. Wow. And did you yeah. stay, because 14, I mean, I would assume you were, you graduated high school. So were you playing sports or anything? And like, did this conflict? No, because I was only doing it on the weekends. I was working like Saturday and Sunday uh, days. And then I definitely did Sundays during the year. The only time I would miss on Saturdays was when I had a band. marching band. Yeah, yeah. I wanted you to talk about it. <laughs> sweet, sweet marching band practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it was living, working, going to high school, crushing it very early. So you have that East Coast thing of like, you will get after it. Oh, that like we, my boyfriend and I, we talk, we're both from Mass and we talk about this all the time, how like, Everybody from the East Coast has this like complex where we like need to out miserable each other constantly <laughs> where it, where it's like it's like a we wear it as like a badge of honor about Ew. like how many jobs you have and how miserable you are. It's, it's so like, gross how awesome. true that is. Ugh, yeah. Gross. Okay. So you're doing that for 7 years and then when you graduated to bartender were you like okay this will be a transferable skill that I will want to continue to do because what I don't understand is the transition into you saying you were broke to go and we'll get there but to the dispatcher job you must not have been working at the restaurant at the time then. So this is kind of what, so I, I went to college for a little while and I was at UMass Amherst for about a year and a half and I couldn't stay because I couldn't afford it. Uh, my parents couldn't help me financially at all. They weren't comfortable co-signing loans because they were just freaked out. Neither one of them went to college. So like they just, you know, they, they were young and they, you know, they did the best they could. And so I had to leave and so I was already feeling like super depressed and like, you know, like a failure and all this stuff. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I was, when I had come back, um, I was working as a traveler, didn't really have many shifts because I came back and, and they just, you know, they, they were full up. They didn't, you know, I, I could get like a day a week, but that was really it. 
So I ended up um, working at the 99, uh, which yeah. is an East Coast chain. Yeah, yeah. The 99. I like, <laughs> love that so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> home of the tilapia. Um, so I worked there uh, for a long time. Um, oh, God. I like think about it. And I, I forget that certain things don't translate to like West Coast where I'm like, oh, and uh, would you like the baked scrawd? And everyone's like, what the fuck is scrawd? I'm like... It's a white. Thing. Thing. I don't, don't even worry know about if it's it. real. I think they made it up. <laughs> like I don't know. Um, it's a <laughs> but so yeah. So I worked. I worked there. Um, I was working there, bartending. But it still wasn't enough because I was living on my own. I was in an apartment, and I had. I was you know starting to to pay for like school and like student loans and stuff because I was also at one point I was working weekends at the bar, full time at the police department during the day. Jeez. I was going to college. I was taking a couple of classes at a community college and I was in a production of Little Shop of Horrors all at the same time. <laughs> like, I, it was crazy. I would literally go to work from seven to three at the police department. And then on the on my way to the, my bar job, I would have like an hour in between. And my parents' place was in the middle of the two. So I would stop at my parents' place, fall asleep on the couch for 45 minutes, get back in the car and go to my bartending job. No, no, thanks. No, thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. No, yeah. thanks. I feel like student loans should be forgiven if you don't finish school. Like if you only if you could only afford yeah, the year and I'm a half. I'm still paying that piece of shit. Are I'm you like, serious? You. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't owe a ton. I only owe like I think I owe like three grand still. But it's like it's so it's so annoying to know that I like don't even have that piece of paper. You know what I mean? Ugh. Like, Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, should yeah. be like partial degrees of like, look, you paid a lot of money, though. So you get to just show that you, you went, you tried and whatever. That's and, a whole and, and what we're all learning, too, is that, like, a college degree doesn't even fucking matter. That's right. Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, if you have the money, you know, like, if you're not, if it's not going to put you in debt, great. But if you don't, like, there, you know, so many, why do we think we're all screwed right now? Like, nobody wants to do manual labor. Nobody wants to do, like, a trade anymore. So, like, we're, we're lacking skilled workers and everybody that went to college can't find jobs or at least ones that they can afford to live. So it's like, it's just a whole mess. Well, in talking to people that do, I, a friend of a friend is a plumber and doesn't even have his own plumbing business, just works for a plumbing company and is making a crisp six figures because the plumbing yeah. company itself can charge exorbitant rates per hour because there's not enough people that know how to do the work and talk about job security. Like, seems like that's yep. the way to go. Anyway, that's the thing. Any those type of jobs, man, you can make so much more. Like my my brother right now, one of the things that during because of COVID and stuff is that they're they don't have enough truck drivers. So my brother has his CDL license and he he has some other license I can't remember. But now he's um he's driving for Anheuser-Busch and he's like he makes a ton of money and he's like a kid and he's like, but they, there's nobody else that can do it, you know? And and there is the leveraging. And that's why when this, and this is such a, I'm diverting from the topics, but that's why this whole, nobody wants to go back to work conversation is so frustrating because it's like, yeah, the jobs weren't paying enough. And now they finally have competitive wages because they need employees. And it's like, right, these are the wages that get people to do the shitty, not, not that driving a truck is shitty, but it's long and it can be really boring and it is really taxing on your soul. And so mm -hmm. it's like, right, y'all are paying now competitive wages and the, the restaurants and the industries that are paying what they should be paying, they don't have a labor shortage as much. So That's the thing is it's like, it's not that people don't want to work. It's that they don't want to work and still be in debt. There it is. That's the thing. Bingo. That's the thing. There it people is. just want to make enough money 
to fucking take a vacation once a year. It's not like, (laughs) it's crazy. Like no other country is like this. And I mean, well, I shouldn't say no other country, but like a country of, of, uh, that has the amount of wealth that this country does is it isn't like this. It's crazy. It is crazy. Okay. How many customer service jobs have you had total? Feel free to count. Although you did your homework okay, before so this. So I, I listed them and I was like, I don't know. I think that I guess 911 is probably the highest form of customer service. I don't even, so, I can't even. I don't know. Uh, I also put down interning at Second City and IO because I was like yes. answering phones and shit a lot. So yes. I would say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. 11. Okay. Tell us what they all are. We've heard a couple of them, but tell us which ones. All right. You heard about the traveler. You heard about the 99. Uh, you heard about 911. Uh, I worked at the gap as a seasonal employee for a little while. So did uh, Ithamar Enriquez. He hated it too. No way. He sure did. Oh God. <laughs> oh, it was brutal. Folding t-shirts with that That's stupid little sad. Thing. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Sucked. I love it. <laughs> oh, and I used someone. to, I, I worked there when I was living in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and it was downtown Portsmouth. It was walking distance from my apartment, but it also was the dead of winter because it was like Christmas time help. So I'd be walking through like a foot of snow to get to this job. It was ridiculous. I was like, oh, I'm that parent st- stereotype just- <laughs> now where I'm like, I'm walking uphill, uphill barefoot. <laughs> like I was so dumb, but, um, okay. So the gap, what, where after the gap? Um, let's see. It was the gap. And then, yeah, 911. And then I came out here. So my first job, um, in LA was obviously interning at second city and IO because, uh, that's the only way to afford anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my first restaurant job, everybody kept telling me, cause back then when I first came out here, everybody was like, it's impossible to get a restaurant job. It's so competitive. Like blah, blah, blah. Everyone warned me about how difficult it was to get hired somewhere. Uh, the first place I applied hired me. <laughs> I worked at uh, Black Angus Steakhouse in Burbank. And let Girl. me tell you, it was awful. I bet. The cheapest motherfuckers. And like, ev- it was so awful. And everybody would tip like shit. And so um, they always put these coupons out in the paper where it'd be like five bucks off, like whatever. And so we would always pray that somebody didn't have one of those coupons because we would always, we would clip them out ourselves from like around. And then if they didn't, and then they would pay and then we would use them because we wouldn't get tipped. So we would like need them as the tip money to actually like make anything. Oh my God. It was so brutal. Yeah. Clipping coupons for your own job. Like it was so awful. How long did you stay there? Almost a year. I was there for a while. I was head bartender, like almost immediately, which is the stupidest thing. And then I left there. I worked in Burbank a lot. I worked at like a bunch of places. So I, and they're all like within walking distance. So I left there to go to Barney's Beanery. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one Uh, was terrible. Carl Tart worked at that exact same one, too. I know. I know. We worked together like at the, I, I think we overlapped like right at the end of me leaving. And, uh, oh God, it was so awful. What he it was said. so bad. Cause everybody's just like a piece of shit for the most part that comes in there. Like they're all like, you know, UFC fans and like all this. So everyone's just like super Neanderthal, like screaming. I mean, I got into a screaming match there when it was the Lakers Celtics playoffs. And I obviously am a Celtics fan since I'm from Boston. I was in, I have my dad's old Celtics shirt. That's from 1984. 86 I forget and I was wearing it and we ended up winning and this dude he was so upset that the Lakers had lost he got in my face and was screaming at me this man was like a foot taller than me and I finally and he was like screaming so hard his like veins were popping out and he was spitting on me and I literally just like looked him dead in the eye and went 
you know, you're yelling at a little girl right now. I was like, you feel like a big man. Good for you. Val. And like, I was like, fuck this. Like I was so mad and that job sucked. And, uh, did that yeah, guy get was, kicked really out? Bad. No, they didn't give a shit about any of us. Like they truly did not care. Like they, the, the amount of bullshit that we saw in that place was wild. It was wild. Like somebody stole my cell phone out of the bathroom. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had left it in there by accident. Like I left it on the sink while I was washing my hands. Literally went out into and went into the kitchen and went, oh shit, my phone went back in, gone. And never found again. Nope. And I made that we had like a speaker system in there and I like made an announcement over the speaker system and nobody turned it in. Like somebody just fucking stole it. What do you think yeah. it is about that corner? Because Carl had to get walked out to his car once because so many people threatened his life. Like what yeah. is it about that? Because I don't associate Burbank with being a rough crowd, but after talking to enough people that have worked there and heard how bad it is, the only the only neighborhood in LA where my car got broken into and a shitload of stuff was stolen was Burbank. So I guess it's just maybe we sleep on that area. I don't know. Burbank, it, the thing is, is it depends on where you are because it is like, it's really residential in most of it. And it's pretty sleepy and slower paced. And like a lot of it is really nice, but that little cluster now, be, and I and I think the real problem started when they put that Buffalo Wild Wings in across from Barney's because now you had, because Bar Barney's when it first opened was like there was fucking awesome because it was a lot of like, Families that would come in. It was a lot of people that were really interested in different types of craft beer because we had so many options. Like if uh, whoever's listening doesn't have doesn't know, Barney's Beanery has like a crazy beer list. They have like they usually have around like thirty to fifty taps. Plus they have like over a hundred different types of beer in the bottle. It's like wild. So you would get people there looking for stuff that they couldn't get anywhere else, and and you would make really good money. Then they put that Buffalo Wild Wings in, and it was like because it was so cheap, it would attract a lot of people that didn't want to spend a lot of money that would get really, really wasted and then act like a fucking idiot. And like, and that's kind of when it got really bad. And then like now, oh God, now there's a yard house above Barney's and like all this other stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty brutal over there now. I'm like, ugh. so you, but what would make you, were you living in Burbank? Is that kind of why you stayed in that area? When I first, yeah. When I Me first too. moved to LA, I lived in Burbank for the first year. Then I lived in North Hollywood for a year. Then I lived in Sherman Oaks for like a year and a half. And then I went to Koreatown. So I was, I was in the Valley for a, for a while. Okay. And so at, at the Black Angus, when you said you were cutting out co like the coupons, <laughs> yeah. I want to understand how that translates into tips because you would then have to go to your manager and say, hey, BTW, I forgot to take this off the bill or whatever. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, this is their total. You couldn't do it if they paid with a credit card because there's no way to do that. But if they paid with cash, then you could apply the coupon to the bill yourself. There was just a button to do it. And then, yeah, that's wow. how, that's how. And like everybody did it because we were so poor. We were not making enough money. Like, like, and we were also broke that we were like eating the like, you know, the, uh, they had like free bread oh, and stuff there for there. people. So yeah. like, oh yeah. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, rough. Yeah. And did they- yeah. somebody doesn't pick up a to-go, you were like, oh, thank God. You'd have like- <laughs> for the day. What and what do you think that is that we just stay in those jobs? Did you think that because it was the first place that hired you, you were kind of like, well, I have to stick this out or what was it that kept you there? Well, for me, I think when I first got here, I had no money. Like I was I wasn't exactly prepared for what I was going to what I was getting into, <laughs> you know? Like I I tell this when people are horrified. When I left LA, or excuse me, Boston to go to LA, I had $750 in my bank account. 
That's exactly that's how much I saved up too. No way. That's so that's fucking so crazy. That's exactly how much I had. And I thought it was enough. What the fuck? Oh, God. oh how We're funny. dumb. We're dumb. dumb. Now, granted, this was, dumb. this was for me, this was almost 14 years ago. Okay. So like, you know, at the time that was a decent amount of money because, but like we were fucked. Like I got here and the only stuff I could bring with me, I brought literally my clothes, my desktop Dell computer, <laughs> my, uh, Casio keyboard and my cat. <laughs> it's like all I had shoved in my car and got here. And I, I slept on my clothes for like the first couple of like weeks, maybe definitely maybe like even two months. I, because I just didn't have anything like we, I couldn't afford any furniture, you know, we, and we, the place that we moved into had like no windows. We called it the cave. Cause it was just so dark and <sighs> like in there it was all oh, was brutal but it was me and my best friend and like her, her, like her uncle was like kind enough to loan us the money to have like a down payment and stuff on the place because well, I mean, we didn't have anything, you know, you kind of stayed job centric to sort of where you were living then. Was that the idea? Yeah. I mean, I just didn't know LA very well, you know, like for the first, I, I mean, I still, it's the city's huge and it's sprawling and intimidating. And I think I was just comfortable because I like knew the ins and outs and it was easy. Okay. You know, plus, you know, like the longer you're at a restaurant job, the more seniority you have and the more shifts that you can take that you want and all that. So you kind of get stuck. And not to mention the fact that it's money that you take home in your pocket that night. And like, you know, how many times are you like, God, I got to pick up a shift this weekend so I can make my rent. Like, you know, that's just how, how it is. Yeah. Now what would make you, cause people are, the audience is going to murder me if I don't let you talk about the 911 job over and over. So <laughs> we have to get there. What, what made you not want to do a dispatcher job out here? That feels like a lateral move. I kind of looked into it for a second, but it's also like, I was, I was dispatching in a small town, you know? So it was like, we were also on the coast. So like occasionally we would deal with the coast guard and things like that because we were on the water, but like, you know, it was, it was either dead and sleepy and you would just be watching TV all day, or it was like balls to the wall in the summer when it was like tourist season and, and nuts out here. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to dispatch out here, like in LA with like the insanity that the city is. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, like I, I got out here and, and I was like, I'm leaving this job to pursue what I want to pursue. And me jumping back into a job like that, I was like, it's not going to afford me the flexibility that I need to be able to pursue this. I need something that I can leave that job and not take it home with me. And that's kind of what, you know, working in a bar is. In theory. Yeah. Out here, it's at least not. Yeah, in not. theory. Until you come home and you're like, you're never going to fucking believe this dick that I dealt with today. 100%. Okay. So what is the, uh, in the 911 world, what is the like procedural thing like I call say I call and it's hey there's a cat in the tree like it's not a really important call how do you are you trained on that because obviously you said you're trained on like dv and you're trained on like big stuff suicide prevention etc are you also trained on how to get someone to get the fuck off the phone so the lines can be clear for a real thing yeah I mean let me tell you the amount well there's a few things to that so uh, we would get dumb calls all the time because I worked for a town called Newbury, which was next to another town called Newbury Port. <laughs> so we would get people calling all the time being like, hi, what time is the parade on Saturday? And Shut up. Like, That's Newbury Port. That's not Newbury. You'll have to call them. Like people, you were the town therapist. Like, and this was such a small town that the police department was literally in the basement of town hall. Okay. Like it was smelled musty. It was gross. Like, oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it really was truly insane. But, um, 
we would deal with that all the time. And then if we had somebody on the phone that was really annoying, that was awful, what we would do is we would text one of the cops or or like whoever was around the station and be like, hey, I've got so-and-so on the line. Can you call the 911? Because I can't deal with it. It would be the only way to get them off the phone. So all of a sudden, because the 911 console is its own separate thing. So there's like the, the regular, like non-emergency line to the police department. But then there's the 911 console. It's this like huge dinosaur looking thing that when it rings, it's terrifying because it's it's like, lights up, bells and whistles, screams at you. So what we would, and there's a tiny little screen on it that would say who was calling, where they were, blah, blah, blah. If it was like a landline, it would give you the exact address. And if it was a cell phone, it would tell you the nearest tower. It would give you like, the, you know, the um, coordinates. Codes. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Codes, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so I would I would do that. And all of a sudden I'd hear, you'd hear it ring and you're like, oh, sir, yep, I got to go. That's the 911, I got to go. And you like, because they would hear it on the other end and you would click and you'd be like, oh, thank fucking God. Like, oh my God. <laughs> because you would see it like on the thing, it would say like Newbury, Newbury Police Department, like literally on the screen. So you would know that it was the calls coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be to get, so someone would call the local police station to find out about parade routes or whatever. But then 911 was its own entity. So you'd have to switch between the two boards. Yeah. There was a regular landline and then there was like the actual like massive console. Yeah. For 911. And then I also had like three screens in front of me because like I'd be sitting like, you know, facing three screens that were for the regular computer system. Then to my left would be that massive dinosaur console. And so you'd kind of have to pivot because when I was dispatching, I wasn't just dispatching for like 911, fire and EMS. Like I was also the dispatcher for the police department. So I was running plates. Like they would call stuff into me. I'd be running plates. Oh yeah. I'd be running plates. I'd be pulling up people's criminal records and reading the rap sheets and like all, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing all of it. How do you keep all of that straight? That feels like chaos it, to me. It was. <laughs> it. Uh, that's why whenever someone's like, are you a good multitasker? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, well, people will ask me like, isn't stand up the most terrifying thing you've ever done? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I've, I've done things that are far, have far more... Uh, consequences than this does. I'm like, nobody's, uh, nobody's going to die if my punchline doesn't land. <laughs> you know, I mean, you might, but nobody really I might. My, my soul might, but. So what is the craziest, most uh, anxiety producing call you can remember getting? I get asked this a lot. And I think some of it I've probably buried because I didn't want to think about it anymore. But the one that I usually tell people that comes to mind is I had a domestic dispute call where Um, There was a woman driving a car and her and her boyfriend got into a fight and he was trying to hit her. And he was like, she was calling and screaming and had me on speakerphone. And the guy was on the top of the car and was like reaching through the window, trying to like hit her, strangle her, whatever he was trying to do as she's like driving. It was insane. So, and like to hear all that from the other end was like- Too much. Terrifying. That's too much. Was there ever- a situation that you felt like you were telling someone how to give chest compressions and you feel like you were integral in saving someone's life? Um, I definitely think it was like calming. It was more calming people down. Like, you know what I mean? Like people that were having like anxiety or panic attacks and things. Cause it would be a lot of like, you know, my dad, my dad's not breathing or my, my mom is having, you know, Oh yeah. 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 Like my mom's having like her heart, you know, she, it was a stroke. She's like my, her art, like she can't use her arm, like stuff, stuff like that. Oh, and wow. it was, yeah, it was it was terrifying. You know, like there was a lot of and and you'd be like 
your adrenaline was through the roof because you're like, I don't, you don't want to fuck this up. Like I, you don't, it's, it's up to you, you know? And like, and I was young when I had this job, I was 20 years old when I was doing this. So you would, it was the adrenaline. Would you be able to go home and just go to sleep and be like, oh, I'm so tapped out? Or was it like you'd have to go home and decompress and then eventually, especially when you're working these overnight shifts, like that's gotta be hard. I I usually work during the day. I would work from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. The overnights were usually quiet um, because we were in a small town. Everything closes early. Like, yeah. yeah. So there wasn't a ton but like the but the the evening shifts, the ones that went from three to um, three to eleven, 11. those were the ones that were could get a little gnarly and were kind of because I mean we had we had God we had overdoses all the time oh. we would have like and it was the my high school was in was in the jurisdiction of that police department so I saw some familiar faces. In fact, uh, my sister got busted for smoking weed in the auditorium, <laughs> and I took the call. <laughs> 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 that's kind of amazing you're like you know what for all those times you wouldn't play barbies with me bitch i'm sending the cops <laughs> like, oh yeah well the worst part was that i was like i'm gonna get in trouble because at the time i was dating somebody who was a cop there it was he and i went to high school together and he was a year above me so we were close in age but he was working there there was supposed to be no interdepartmental fraternizing <laughs> and we were dating and had to keep it on the dl when the call came in for her he was the one on duty and i had to send him and i was like this bitch is going to blow our fucking cover <sighs> i was like oh yeah 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 it was oh yeah it was bad did she blow your cover um no but i they everybody kind of had an inkling of what was going on anyway and so when when we found out like when 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 we knew that they knew, we were terrified because we got like you know called in to, and and I had to like sit down. It was so scary. Oh, <laughs> like, the worst. Oh, so stupid. My favorite thing though is that when I worked there, when I was younger, I was in a senior in high school, and uh, I used to go and park in my mom's van, which we called the Vanimal, <laughs> and uh, I used to park out there with my boyfriend in back of the library at night so we could fool around in my mom's van. One time, uh, a couple of cops saw the van. We didn't know because we were busy, occupied. We were busy. And so <laughs> they came over and started flashing the lights in the car and asked us to get out. And, and like, I, I'll never forget, I literally had my Victoria's Secret leopard print bra hanging from the rearview mirror. <laughs> And literally they came over and of course, like, and the, the irony is that he was actually younger than I was. He was two years younger than me, but they came over to me and were like, ma'am, are you here on your own free will? (laughs) (laughs) So this is all in that same jurisdiction. Fast forward to a couple years later, I get hired at the police department. My first day on the job, I go and sit down at the dispatcher desk and pulled up on the screen is the police report from that night because they obviously have to make sure that you don't have a criminal record. Oh it's the only thing that came up in the system was that it's just <laughs> sitting there on the screen. <laughs> was the description of your bra hanging from the rear view in the notes? No, thank God. <laughs> I was like, like, nobody here needs to know I'm a C cup. No, thanks. Like, no, thanks. Okay. And what was your, so we'll, I'll get back to the regular questions you prepared for, but of that particular dispatching job, cause you were there for four years, what kept you in it for so long? I really liked, I, I think that part of it was like, honestly, part of it was, was getting some respect around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, cause like when you work in a service industry job, like people look at you, like you're the dumbest piece of shit on the planet. They mm-hmm. don't understand that. Like most people are like, Hey, we're smart. This is just the easiest thing to that is, you know, that we can do while we're trying to do the thing we really want to do. And, you know, they just, they, they look down on you, they treat you like shit. And so going from that job to 
working at a, at a police department where like you felt useful, you felt helpful, you felt like, you know, you had some authority, like, you know, I, I honestly like it make, whenever I like look into all this stuff now with like defunding the police and whatever, which yes, please defund them. They don't need to be militarized. What is going on? <laughs> uh, but like, you know, and people will be like, well, how do you, how do you have an opinion on this? Like, who are you? I'm like, I fucking did it for four years. Fuck you. Like, but, um, I get the, like, I get it. I've seen the ego. I've seen all of it like firsthand and like how, you know, big people's heads can get so quickly from just being given a little bit of authority. Like it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so you feel like in that job, it was what kept you locked in, even though it was stressful and adrenaline pushing was the sort of respect that you garnered in the community because people knew that was your job. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I like, you know, I did, I liked it. And, and, and because of the time I didn't really know what I was doing. Like I didn't even, like I was a theater major when I was at school, but I I didn't really know what that was going to translate into. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I was like, maybe this is what I'll do. Like, I don't know. Like they, they were really pushing to send me to the reserve Academy to become a cop. And I, I kept being like, ah, and finally I was like, if I stay, that's what, that's what I have to do. So like, you got to get out. And that's kind of really what was like time to go. Cause no part of you was attracted to being a cop. No, not at all. I had no, I had no desire, no desire. Well, back to the regular questions that you prepared for, which was your favorite of the 11 customer service jobs that you've had? Did we get all 11? I think, did you list them all? We stopped at Barney's Beanery, I think. Oh, um, I worked at Fantasia, which was a uh, bar slash pool hall in Burbank. It was uh, walking distance. Oh yeah, it was walking distance to Barney's Beanery. It was owned by a couple of Armenian dudes. uh, And I bring that up because there was a slight language barrier on the menu (laughs) because there were things on the menu that sounded uh, far more risque than they should have. We had appetizers called the fantasy combo. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the three-way combo. Did you work at, like, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> like, dear God. Did you work at a strip club? Um, really? Was that really a strip club? That's we, we were like, this, this has to be a front for something. Like, there's be. no way that it is not. Like, it was awful. Like, when we would do the UFC fights there, it was like, we all hated it. It was so bad. Okay, so of those 11 jobs, what was the job you had right before comedy really took off for you? Because you are not currently working in customer service. You're just being a comic. So what what, right. what shifted? <laughs> Try, yeah. Try, I get it. Well, so I, I worked at a place called Village Tavern over in Atwater Village for seven years. Uh, You're a seven, loyalist, I a lucky girl. Number. I, I, I know. Well, the, I, this is what I, I actually had a job interview this week for something. And I told them, I was like, look, I, when I get hired somewhere, like I'm usually in it for the long haul. Like I'm, I'm there for a long time. It's like, if, if you treat me well, I will work my ass off for you, you know? And so um, I was there for seven years. I was again, like pretty much the lead bartender there. And, uh, and then COVID hit. COVID hit March, 2020. And then they were shut down, obviously, for a while. And then LA, when they the first time they were going to allow the restaurants to open and do outdoor dining, it was that July of 2020. And they couldn't bring everybody back. They asked a few of us to come back. And before they were going to reopen, they wanted to meet with each of us individually to kind of explain what they were going to be, what they were doing. And because we only had like a tiny little patio, like it could only fit maybe 10 people. So we were like, how are they going to do this, you know? So they brought us in and uh, they met with us one-on-one and they were explaining everything. And I said, hey, look, let me, let me stop you right there. I said, you know, 
you're talking about how you're trying to keep the customer safe. I said, what are you doing to keep us safe? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I, you didn't really give a shit about us when things were normal. So like, what are you going to do now during the pandemic? And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> what? I know, so weird, so bad to see, and no, and and everyone's like, nobody wants to work anymore. I'm like, I I was willing to go back to work, and they were like, Bye. nope. So I and and guess what? They couldn't make it. So uh, I feel zero remorse. Good. And uh, yeah, em. and so. I was on unemployment for the first time in my life during uh, the pandemic. I, it was terrifying. I was like, I, I had, I'd always had a job, no matter what. I always had something. I never quit a job unless I had something lined up. Like I just, it was truly terrifying for me. I was so used to just working myself to the bone, and uh, I will say that my body felt a lot better because I wasn't hunched over an ice well all the time and running. Because I mean, at, at that job, I was usually the only person on besides the kitchen staff. So I would be bartending, I would be food running, I would be bussing tables, I would be doing everything myself. And, you know, I would set, I mean, my sales were always crazy because I was a hustler. Like I would walk out of there, my sales would be over two grand. And I, was the, and I was the only person working. So I would keep everything I made. That's awesome. You know, so it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I was, everybody was like, how the fuck are you doing this? I'm like, cause I don't have a choice. Like, you know, when you're in it, it's like, you're just, it's sink or swim, ba baby. Like, sorry. Yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, it was wild. Well, and also when you know what it feels like to be without and to sleep on your mm -hmm. clothes for the first handful of months you've lived here, you know what it actually feels like to live here without an income or without a sustainable living wage. And so you, it's the fear of going back to that that will make you bust your ass. But then how would you have the energy to then go do sets at night when you were working those hours? So when I was at the bar, I was working during the day. So I would do, um, I would do Saturdays and Sundays during the day, those brunch shifts, which were oh, brutal. Oh, you clean up though. Oh God, it was awful. But like, I would finally convince them to stop doing bottomless mimosas because I was oh, like, you pay me, you, I was like, you pay me to bartend not to clean up people's puke. I was like, this is not in my job description. Ooh. I'm not doing it anymore. Ooh. And so, yeah. So I was like, fuck this. Cause, and then they wouldn't tip, like, you know, it's like they would tip you on the one, one. time that they paid for it. Which is crazy. And then you're refilling this thing and you're like, I can't, I'm not doing this. Yeah, it was it was really hard and and just like I would I would be there on during the weekends and then um I would work like one like nighttime a week cuz at that point I was like I'm not doing nights anymore. I can't I can't. Plus I would want to do sets. So I'm like I I can't. So I did that. In fact, it was very funny because at at one point TG the the bar that's next that used to be next to the tavern they that's when they started running that show Peacock out of there and so I would like literally I would like get off work go over do a set next door and like all the people that were like wait you're a comic and I was like yeah I have a set over there tonight they're like great and I would like bring the entire audience <laughs> like over from my bar and I was like yeah but um yeah, it was it was it was tough to have the energy to do all that like it, it was it was hard and at one point I was working like a couple different restaurant jobs and just like picking up whatever I could, you know, like, I, yeah, it was hard. And it was tough too, because then that's around the time that I would, that um, I started featuring for Dana Gould on the road. And that, that was always tough because featuring like you just, it's, it's the same amount of money that they were paying in the eighties. It's not enough money. 
it's it's good money if it's your home club and it's in the town you live in. Then like, yeah, you're not paying for flights and, and hotels and things like that. But you're making 500 bucks for the weekend and you have to take care of everything else. It's hard. So that would also be tough was trying to like justify like, I really want to go on this club weekend, but I have to miss out on all my bartending money and I'm probably going to lose money in the in the end because I have to take, you know what I mean? So it's like you're you're swapping places with people and being like, can I crash on your couch this weekend? And then like, come out to LA, you can stay at my place and like trying to piece together airline miles and like whatever you could just to make it work. And Dana always was so wonderful on the road. Like he would, you know, take, take care of all my meals. Like he would kick me extra money. Like he, he was so great, but it, it's just, it's set up, it's set up for headliners to make money, not for features to make money, you know? Sure. And I mean, Dana is absolutely lovely and that is not at all surprising that he would go over and above, but it's still, I mean, they also, he has to make a living, you know, all the headliners have to make a living and that's such a hard, uh, what an antiquated model. That's tough. Okay. So especially when it's not like theaters, you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like he's like, Hey, I'm going to be doing Madison square garden. You know what I mean? It's like you're doing a club. Like there's there's a ceiling that you hit in terms of how much money you're going to make, you know? Sure, because there's a limited number of seats and you're not going to charge $500 for a VIP ticket at a club. Like that's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen. Okay, of all of those jobs, which was your favorite? Okay, I think my favorite was probably... I I mean, I liked working at the 911. Like I... I, The 911. Why did I say it like that? I did like working (laughs) at... uh, I did like working at the police department because it was so different from everything else that I had done. But I think out of like the restaurant jobs, probably the hungry traveler, like that, like the first job and like, and it was just so silly. It was like, a, it was almost felt like a summer job year round, you know, cause it was on the beach and stuff anyway. And like just the dumb shit we used to do as kids. Like we had a salad bar there that we would like hide in and like pop out and scare people <laughs> like we oh did the dumbest shit because like during the day at lunchtime we would always have these like old blue hairs that would come in just all these old old people walkers everywhere just like just so old and they would play <laughs> like the I remember our hostess her name was Pat Lacazy and she literally sounded like the woman from Monsters Inc yeah like did you file your paperwork that's just how she sounded and so and she would only play that like that uh, that like big band music and like Sinatra and like that's all they would play during the day. So when we were setting up, we would take the tray stands and like that song "Hey Big Spender" would come on, and we'd be doing choreographed dances in the middle of this restaurant, like picking them up, just being like "Hey Big Spender," <laughs> like just doing the stupidest shit. So fun, like, oh yeah, it was so fun. I mean, we we loved it. Like oh god, and like because it was it was just such a it was such a small town, like just hot spot. Like the bar was like the lounge and there was this like weird, like carved mermaids out of wood on the wall and like old, but like Polaroids of like all the summers that, because it was family owned. So it was like the summer camp photos of like all the like people that were in the family and the big parties they would have. And like, it just, it was, it was just, it was, it was really cool and really fun. I love that. So which was your least favorite of all of those jobs? Okay, so I didn't mention this one earlier because I think we just skipped over it. But uh, the worst one I ever worked at was a place called Obica. And it was a Italian place that there was like a nicer one that's that's in the Westfield Mall over in Culver City. But then they opened up another one in the Beverly Center. That was, that was the one that I worked at. But it was 
it didn't have, it wasn't an actual restaurant. Like it was essentially a kiosk in the middle of the mall. And people would just walk in like it was a Starbucks. People would walk in and just grab napkins and like leave and just like grab shit all the time. And that people would order these like really, because it was supposed to be high end, like things that were imported from Italy and like uh, cured meats and cheese and like all this other stuff. And people would spend a bunch of money, but little do they know that they would make all this food at the other location, then drive it over. And they had like a microwave in the back. Uh-uh. <laughs> like microwaving everything. Wait, oh, they yeah. would have to drive over every order that would come in? They would drive it over like during the day because they didn't have a kitchen because it was in the middle of the fucking mall. So they would have like a fridge and then like a microwave and just like heat it up. And then like, oh yeah, it was bad. It was what, bad. what would you do if like everybody ordered the fettuccine Alfredo and you only had 10 servings in the refrigerator? Would then someone then have to go back drive to that other restaurant and get another no, serving? No, they'd be like, we're out. We only have this amount of orders left or whatever. Yeah. So it was essentially a cafeteria style, but you were trying to get tipped off that? How'd you live on that? It was so awful. It was terrible. I made no money. I bet. Like, I made, oh yeah, I made no money. Oh yeah, that would have been really bad. That would have been my least I did. I wasn't there very long. I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you're like, the I, job yeah. I'm not loyal to is the, this cafeteria job. I get that. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't there for very long. I would say couple months, but like not, but I was like, no, this is not for me. Okay. Now you had said to me before we were recording that, uh, this next question you didn't have an answer to, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. Cause maybe something came oh, up. Man. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock. Now that could also be thinking nine one one, like you, I don't know that maybe something there or bartending. Were you ever, I don't know, were you asked out in a weird way? Uh, all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I will say the craziest thing that happened to me. Yeah. Which was, um, I had a gun pulled on me Woo! when I was, yeah. When I was working at the village tavern, a guy pulled out a gun and everybody freaked out, dropped to the ground. My dumbass. <laughs> Literally, this was my reaction. This is how you know. I, I, for better or for worse, this is how I act in a crisis. Okay, the guy pulls out the gun, and I literally went, "Put that thing away!" And I tried to slap it out of his. Oh my god, <laughs> absolute insane person! Oh my god, what did he do when you went to slap it out of his hand? He like, he, I think he it like took him out of it. I think he like realized what he because the, the reason why that happened was. There was somebody, I was actually off duty. I had gotten off work and I was sitting at the bar having a drink with another comic. I was was pretty new to comedy. I was maybe only like a year in and sitting at the bar having a drink and this got like, there was somebody in the bathroom who was taking a long time because we only had, we had um, single restrooms, one like uh, for men and women, right? And so he was in the the men's room and he was in there for a really long time. So people were like, you you can't be taking a shit that long. It's got to be somebody doing drugs or like some something's going on, right? So somebody knocked and then waited and waited and waited. And then finally, like they kept knocking to be like, get the fuck out of the bathroom, right? And that's when that guy came out and there were two guys came out. And I think that's what they were doing was they were doing either Coke or something and came out. Or each other. And that's when, and they started fighting. Yeah, right. And then they started fighting like verbally. And then one of them pulled out the, that. And that's when I was like, nah. So when you hit it out of his hand and take his brain out of it, did he put the gun away and leave or were the cops called? I like, think somebody else picked it up and then they took off. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was wild. Yeah, that is wild. <laughs> yeah, well, see, you did have an answer. Look at that. Maybe you weren't asked that, I but guess, you, you hit I, a gun yeah. out of a hand. Good job. You get the fuck out of here with, <laughs> what wrong with me. So oh. on that note, what's an incident that ever made them ask to speak with your manager? Did you have any? 
This makes me, I can't, this was, I, it makes me furious to this day. So again, same place at the tavern. And we did, we had this thing where when, if, if somebody had changed, we didn't have like, we, we had random like pennies, dimes, nickels in the, in the register, but we only ever rounded up or down. We never really dealed with change. Like we had uh, dealt with change. We had like quarters in there to give people to use for the parking meters because it was street parking. But um, we just never, we never counted change. We never dealt with it. So we would always just round up or down. So some guy paid and he, and I could like, I could just tell they were kind of weird. And these like two dudes and they paid and I gave them their change. And the guy was like, where's my change? And I was like, oh, we just round up or down. Like, that's just how, no, literally no one had ever complained at that point. Because also pe- most people don't want to take a, a bunch of change around with them. And when I say change, I mean, it, he literally, you know what it was? A nickel. Fuck off. Yes, it was a nickel. And I was like, oh, we don't, we don't usually deal with change. Like it's, we just round up or down. He was like, oh, so you rounded to where I'm the one that loses money. Wow. And I was like, and I was like, dude, it's, that's just what we do here. Right. And then they were like, that's when they were like, I want to speak to your man. So then the manager comes over and then this, and then the manager's trying to like throw me under the bus. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, this is what we've always done. You taught me this. Good for you. And I was like, do not do this to me. I was like, and that was the thing that would make me nuts was that like nobody there had your back. If something went, <sighs> if something went down, something happened, just they would, they were like, just don't, just, just get them out of here. Just get them out of here. And they were such like, our boss was so, such a fucking baby where he would, he hated dealing with people. So we would like hide. And like, we didn't have, we didn't have managers. We only had owners. So I essentially was the manager when they'd be like, we want to speak to blah, blah, blah. And like the owner happened to be there because he would do like, he would come in and like drop off uh, extra bitters or whatever we needed. And so he happened to be there at the time. And like, yeah, it was so, oh, it made me fucking furious. I was so mad. I was mad for days after. I would be mad right now. So did he- I still am, listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) So did did the manager just what, come up with the nickel for the pissed off dude that lost five cents? Like how yeah, did he, he went to, yeah, he went out and, and then like, he tried to get me to apologize. I was like, absolutely not. Good for I you. I was like, no, you can fire me if you want. I was like, I'm not apologizing to this asshole. Forget it. Good for you. Yeah. What is the last straw then that got, was there a last straw that got you out of any of these jobs? Obviously at fantasy You'd Island. you think the gun would <laughs> and yet. <laughs> well, at the strip club, it was COVID that got you out of that job. But what I was that the, you're calling it a strip club. I refuse um, to call that a restaurant. So was there a last straw that got you out of anything? Because I know you had said like with the police department, it was like you either the trajectory is to become a cop mm. or leave. But was there like an incident where you were like, fuck this place, I'm going to burn it down? Oh, because I just I wasn't making any money. So I didn't feel bad about quitting there at all. The other places like uh, I, I would I would leave them because, like I said, I've never quit a job without having something else lined up. So it would always be like, hey, I'm taking this other job. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of always just leaving leapfrogging from one to another. And then it was funny because, you know, the way that I accidentally got out of working in the service industry was I, I got to do Conan and I was in my head I was like, oh my God, I might finally be able to quit my bar job. And then COVID happened and I was like, oh no, not like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yikes, please help. No, 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 no. I was like, oh no, I should have been more specific. <laughs> <laughs> too big with the universe. Okay. Oh God, yep, too big. So so I've kind of just now been like, well, 
you know, it's sink or swim. Like I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying desperately not to go back. And mostly just because I'm older, like there's, there, it's not that I don't have respect for people that work in the service industry. I did it for 20 years. It's just that I'm tired. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to, for lack of a better word, Scarlett O'Hara it and rely on the kindness of strangers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, 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 I hate that about it. You know, like you, your your living wage should not depend on whether or not somebody feels generous that day. Like that's so shitty. Yeah. And it is, I mean, a tip is a gift. And if your entire income is based upon someone's decision and how they feel about you, it's rough. I mean, I guess that's entertainment mm-hmm. though. What are we doing? Have you ever told a customer to fuck off or not in those words, but in some way? Yes. So I have, well, one, I mean, you know, any bachelor or bachelorette party is a nightmare and I've definitely told, definitely told a few bachelorettes (sighs) to be like, get the fuck out of here because they're too hammered. But I think my favorite one was, I mean, it was when I was, this is also on my album, but it was when I had to deal with a really drunk heckler and like dealing with that because it's like in a way the same thing, right? It's yeah. like you're it's like you're still in bartender mode where you're like I I didn't bring you the alcohol, but I've sat here and watched you drink it. So which is just as bad. Mm-hmm. And so like dealing with people like that and trying to kick them out and it's and when you're bartending, you feel like you have to be a bouncer, but when you're when you're a comic, it's like it's like that, but you also have to do it in a way where you finesse it so the audience doesn't turn on you because even when a heckler's being an asshole, because you're especially if it's a female heckler and you're a woman, people look at it like a cat fight and you have to be really careful with the way that you deal with it. And I had this swim. And so what I usually do is I leave it up to the audience. So then the audience looks like the bad guy and it's not me. So I'll be like, what do you guys think? Do you think we should let Denise stay or you think we should have her go? And they'll be like, go. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Denise, you've been voted off the island. Like that's. <laughs> that's a great way. That's actually a really lovely way of handling it. Um, okay. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? Oh, you cleaned up vomit. So yeah, vomit's probably, that's mostly the only one I've, I've, I've seen a lot of piss and shit in my day and I'm like, not dealing with it. You can get somebody else to do it. Not doing it. Have you been puked on directly or just cleaned up puke? Uh, cleaned up puke. Yeah. Never, never directly. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. It's real specific. Still that smell though. Like if you've had to clean it up, it's just as bad. Well, that's part of the, that's part of the issue is that I smell vomit and it makes me gag. Mm -hmm. Like it makes me big. Like my mom is the same way. Like I'll start to like dry heave where I like can't really deal with it. Like I'll I'll, like, I, yes, I obviously don't want to do this, but also I will add more vomit to this vomit pile. If you make me do this, so like somebody else needs to handle this. This is a human centipede of vomiting, like just on top of, on top of itself. So gross. Gross. Um, do you ever tip? What a question. Can you you imagine if I was like, you know, I just don't believe in it. Uh, I, I over tip to a fault. I think at this point, because I've never not tipped. I've always tipped. I don't care that literally the server could, I could watch the server take a shit in my burger and I'd be like, you know, they must've had a really bad day. Like I just couldn't really not, I can't not tip. I can't, I just can't do it because I try not to take it personally. I realize that if you have a server that's bad, it's usually it's usually because of something else. It's usually out yeah. of their control. Like you can't be mad at the server if your burger doesn't come out the way you want it to. It's they didn't fucking cook it. Stop taking it out on your server. You know, it's like it's shit like that. And because I know what it's like where if you have a really bad day that one person can like make it all the difference. And so I'm like, what does it mean to me? You know what I mean? The couple bucks is going to change somebody else's fucking life 
where to me it's like, ah, so I have a couple less bucks, whatever, you know? Yeah. Do you, t- is that true for coffee shops, rideshare services, everything like? Yeah. I'm all, I always tip on that stuff. Like there's, there's sometimes where I'm like, uh, what was it? Uh, what was it recently that I was like, I am not, there was a thing that came up for a tip and I was like, I'm not fucking tipping on this. Cause it was like something, it was something that I've ne- no one has ever tipped in their entire life. Four yeah. and I was like, I don't understand why this is here. I think it was, yeah, I can't, re- I can't remember what it was, but I was like, what? My dry so cleaner weird. has started putting a tip jar out, and I'm like, you, not that I regularly get stuff dry cleaned, I don't own fancy shit, but like the handful of times I've been there, I'm like, you've got to be out of your fucking mind. I'm gonna tip you for this. <laughs> no, like I'm. Well, not. then especially it's so expensive. Yes. Too, where you're like, oh yeah. I think I think if it's one thing too, if you're if it's like I don't know, like if like if like a hotel, right, where like you leave money in the hotel room for whoever's competent cleaning your stuff, like sure. But like, yeah, like, I don't know. There's sometimes where I'm like this. It's like we've all come to an agreement on certain things that you tip for. But then when it's a thing that you don't normally get tipped and then they have a tip, you're like, huh? Yeah. I know what you're making. I know you're making good money. Like what? Yeah. It's just exploiting people's sort of default in this country to tip. And it makes me that stuff makes me crazy. I think I saw a tip line once on I had gotten concert tickets or something and I went to pick them up and I had to sign for it. And there was a tip line for that, too. And I just I was like, we've we've lost the plot with this. You know what it was? Now I remember donating money on a GoFundMe. And now there's a thing now where yep. they're like, do you want to tip the people and da 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 And I was like, the people at GoFundMe? No, I do not. I was like, I want to give the money to the person that I know needs the money. I'm not tipping a corporation. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, that's a real thing. And so there's no, what's like the percentage that you would say roughly you tip? Uh, always over 20%. I'm, I usually tip like 25, if not more. It also depends. You know, you know, the, the, the code or like, mm-hmm. if you get hooked up at a bar or a restaurant or whatever, 50%. you fucking tip, like you tip, you tip your life away. Yeah. Like, it's almost like it wasn't do. even free, which is so ironic, but I'd rather it go to the, the person like that's I, taking care of me. Yep. So exactly. I'd rather it go to the person that fucking needs it and not the person that owns seven other restaurants in the city and, and, and two high rises and has six houses and a boat. Like, fuck you. Fuck you hard. Have you ever been stiffed? Meaning not someone walk out on the bill, but like a big fat zero for the tip. Oh yeah. What Mm -hmm. was the context? It would happen a lot during um, big sporting events and during like UF. Always. Yep. And fucking always, always. Always. And it's like, it's not my fucking fault. Your team ate shit. Like, you know, it's like, oh, It was brutal. It's insane. I mean, it speaks to the fact that like a tip is a gift and people when they're feeling away, like when they feel good, they're likely to give more. So like, I guess it can work to our benefit. But if you work at a sports bar, it's almost never to your benefit because the people that are coming out to the location to watch the game are rarely locals. It's usually Mm -hmm. the transplants who are like, oh, shit, I'm from mm, fucking wherever the hell and my team is playing. And then when their team loses, especially if they lose to an L.A. team, you're going to get zeros, which is so yeah. obnoxious. It okay. was so terrible. Have you ever been fired from a customer service job? No, I have never been fired. Really? You're so sweet. I, I could see that. So- I could see that. No, you are sweet. <laughs> you are. I could see that. Okay. And oh, you're, and you're yeah. a loyalist. So you stay in shitty situations too. And I, I'm guilty of that, of like, you know, when it's a little bit of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. When you know a situation is horrifying and the management knows that it's like, yeah, I, I will leverage this to my benefit occasionally though. Like I'll act yeah. an ass knowing you probably should have fired me, but also I should have fired you as a business. So <laughs> we're even. Well, that was my thing too, is like, I've never, I've, the, I've never no called, no showed. Never. Same. same. Like ever. Yeah. The, the only time I didn't come in for a shift 
was I was so pissed because I tried to get the day off. They wouldn't give me the day off. I'd asked so far in advance that finally I was like, I'm not, I'm not coming in. Like I'm calling to tell you I'm not coming in, but I'm not coming in. Good <laughs> like, job, you. And that was, yeah. And that was the only, that was the only time. And what was it to do? Uh, go to a Renaissance fair. <laughs> I have to end the podcast. I'm so sorry. We're not going to get to all I'm the so, questions. Yeah, I'm a Ren Fair bitch. I'm a go- fucking... Oh, yeah. God. Get your stuff. All right. <laughs> final question in this section. Can you give me an example of the worst customer you've had to interact with? I mean, the gun thing's pretty insane, but you you technically weren't on the clock then, so I'm not counting it. But the worst customer, or if you can't think of an incident, the archetype of who is the worst customer? There's always the person that thinks that they own the fucking place. Mm. It's all, you know, it's always the, the, the bar fly that's there every day that they come in, they're there, like the place isn't even opened yet and they're already oh, standing outside waiting God. for you to open. And Why is like, that so away. annoying? That is so because, fucking irritating. Because you're like, I just want, I, this, here's my ideal scenario. Yes, it says we opened at 11. If you come in before 11.10, I fucking hate you. Yeah, like, I'm still cutting limes. Me, yes, yes. Let me cut my limes. Let me finish refilling the salt and pepper shakers because the idiots didn't do it the night before. Bingo. Let me finish stocking the fucking beer cooler. Let me have, let me just have two sips of this coffee, please. So I can, <laughs> I, it's for everyone's benefit. Yes, you and win like, if I get oh. that coffee in me. Like one of the things that used to happen was because we're in LA, there'd be studios around that, or like people would be working on location where they were shooting a lot. Um, in fact, when they were shooting Lady Dynamite, they were shooting it um, right by where I used to work. And so they they would take a lunch break and they would be there like the second we opened, like, and it would be like, you know, and they were nice, you know what I mean? They were really cool, but but it was stressful because they only had a certain amount of time allotted on their break. So they would come in right when you opened, they'd take over the entire bar. Like we'd have 15 people taking up every seat at the bar and they'd all order at the same time. We had a tiny kitchen. We only had one cook in there. So it's one person trying to make all of this stuff right when we open, when they're not, like the, the fucking fryer's not even hot all the way yet. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's, oh yeah, it, that that was really stressful. But like, again, like nice, always tip well, like just very sweet, but it was just so stressful. See, <laughs> like, I, wish, like, I wish people understood though, too, if they just came in with the right attitude, knowing that we understood the confines of their lunch break or their whatever, and that they understood, hey, it probably is only one cook. It's clearly only one bartender. So everything's not going to be perfect. Like if they tip well and they have the right attitude, even when it is stressful, it's like, yeah, but they're going to take care of me. So I'm going to make this happen as best I can. Mm-hmm. Attitude matters. Yeah. Because yeah. like, and they'll be like, well, why isn't there more people working? It's like, because the rest of the day will be quiet. It's just, yeah. it's like, just right now is hell. We can't justify yeah. two servers. All right. Yep. Well, now we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you save room for dessert. What was the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? I've had a few that were just, I've, I've had a, I have a bunch. I have um, a couple customers that would like, they, they would make like really tasty homemade treats and like food and stuff that would bring me stuff that they've made from home. It was really be like, Oh, I know you're working all day. Like uh, I brought this cause I figured you might be hungry. Like just like really like kind things like that. And, um, I have a couple of regulars who I'm still friends with that. Uh, I met through working there. Their names are Eric and Erica, which is very funny. <laughs> and, uh, they're very sweet. They're both in the business. He's a writer. She's an editor. 
and um, just good people. And they would come in like every weekend to see me and like, you know, tip well and just be really cool. And like, they would come to show, they would always come to shows and support and like, just, just really good. Like, in fact, they just texted me today because they bought my enamel pins and like took a photo of them in the pins and like sent it to me. Very cute. Like just like really like good people. Wow. I know you're probably going to ask this in a second, but I figure it just feeds right into it. I, my favorite regular that I've had was, uh, his name was Maddie and we're friends on Facebook because he's very old. Oh, hi Maddie. (laughs) Hi Maddie. He's wonderful. And this is Talk about living in LA and this would only happen here. So the first time he ever came to the bar, I heard his accent. I was like, oh, he's from New York. He's an East Coaster. He's very like, you know, just very, ah, wow, an Italian. Like, you know, I'm like, this is my people. And so we like hit it off and we're talking, whatever. And he got so excited when he learned that I was Italian and we're just going back and forth. He's like, yeah, I used to, he's like, I used to own an Italian restaurant out here, like telling me all this stuff. And then finally come to find out, because I was like, this guy reminds me of somebody and I can't figure out who it is. Come to find out. It is Tony Danza's brother. <laughs> my God. I had such a crush on Tony Danza. That's amazing. Oh my God. Okay. So funny. And so he brought me his homemade sauce, like his like oh, family recipe sauce. Oh yeah. But, and it was truly one of the tastiest things I've ever had. It was so good. Brought me this like incredible sauce. Brought me the, like him and his brother made a book that was like, uh, don't, I think it was called Don't Forget the Antipasto. And it was like recipes of their family. And he like brought me in a copy of the book and like just- oh, What an such, angel. He would, whenever my boss would come in, he would be like, you need to pay her more money. She's busting her ass in here. You don't know how good you have it. You're not going to find anybody like her. <laughs> just the best, like the best. I wish people understood also how tolerable that makes it. Because when you're not working the job of your dreams and the job you happen to be working to support the job of your dreams is customer service, it's Mm -hmm. just layers of like your tank is so low, especially when people who are very successful in the industry you want to be in come in and need to get waited on. Not saying their attitudes are bad, but you're looking at them and you're like, I'm literally right here in your presence. You are doing the thing I'm desperate to be doing. It's just mm-hmm. when people when people drop off, you know, homemade goodies or they acknowledge you. I used to get Christmas cards when I would bartend. I don't care even if you don't know if I'm celebrating. Like that's the nicest shit. It's so small because it means they thought of you outside of the context of you being an employee. They thought of you at their homes or they thought of you when you weren't able to benefit them directly in front of them. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's it matters helps. Yeah. And like being in this town too, it's always wild where if you, cause like at some point you're going to have somebody famous come into your bar and you're like trying to figure out like how to handle it. And like one of my favorites that came in, cause I'm a big sci-fi like dork. I love like X-Files. I love all that stuff. And one of my favorite shows was Fringe. And I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was with um, Anna Torb. It was with Joshua Jackson. It's such a good show. It's, 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 it's got very X-Files vibes, but anyway, one day I was working and Anna Torv walked in, who's the lead on that show. It was like the show was already done, but like she came in and I was like, oh, and like, I literally was like, just like, I was, I, oh God, I, I couldn't even, I still can't talk. Like, listen, <laughs> but she's like, she's beautiful and she's so nice and like over tips and just like every, it's like everything you want it to be when you meet somebody that is like somebody you admire and that you like really love their work and stuff. You were just like, Oh man, like wow. this couldn't have been better. And like we would have like there's some comedy people that come in a lot. Like oh god, what's his name? Um, Brooks Whelan would come in a lot to my oh. bar. Kyle Kinane used to come. I in. In fucking fact, it was very, love Kyle. I love Kyle. The funniest thing was that he would come in a lot. 
And then he, because at the time, because that that restaurant kind of went through different iterations of what the kitchen was because the kitchen was always a separate business from the bar. They would have like contractors that would kind of like cycle in and out. So when I first started, it was um, it was smoked barbecue stuff. They had like a smoker and it was like brisket and pork and all this. So he would come in a lot. And then it was so funny because like later on, I he like stopped coming in. I was like, that's really weird. And then I I either watched a special or listened to one of his albums where he talked about how he got gout and he had to stop going out to like oh my God. Get barbecue and things like that. And I was like, that's why he's so coming in. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Okay. It's really funny. What's the best tip you've ever gotten? Somebody, there's people that have tipped me like a couple hundred bucks and like, and it was, you know, it, it really was like, it was like so high. One of them, I can't remember the exact amount, but it was like, it was a lot, especially for what the bill was to the point where like, I was like, I, I, I like couldn't talk. And then I was like, I, I'm going to have to bring my manager over because this looks suspicious and it's going to look like I'm faking it. So like, I'm going to have to bring them over so they can approve it because when you with sometimes with like micros, if a tip is like a certain amount over what the bill is, you have to get a manager approval to enter it in. And so I was like, they're gonna need to know that I'm not just like making this up. And so, but like, yeah, that's neat. Okay, what's the best time you've ever had at work? Honestly, probably when I was working at when I was working at the Traveler and like just the, those memories of like it being summertime and being like you know, rushing to get off work so you can go down to Salisbury Beach and go to the dumb, cheesy-ass carnival that's down there. And like, oh, we're going to, if we get out in time, we can hit the go-karts before they close. Like, you know, like all this like silly shit. Yeah, Yeah. that stuff is so defining in your life and you don't even know it at the time. Um, What's Mm -hmm. the best lesson you personally have learned from working in customer service? Just truly getting to know people from all walks of life. You know, like, and everybody has a story and it's usually not what you think. You know, like it is, it's really fascinating getting to talk to people. Yeah. And just, and like, just being a good listener and like really kind of just, I don't know, but like you, cause you are, you're kind of people's therapist when you work in a bar and yeah. And, and people that are willing to listen and, and people that still to try to go out of their way for you. And like, like I've had regulars that I've loved that like were so kind and would always be like, oh, I know you said you were trying to find representation. Like, I know somebody at this place and like, uh, can send me an email and send her stuff over. Like, wow. you know, just like little things like that that are just like, they mean so much. They really do. Yeah. And final question in this section, what's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Don't take your shitty day out on them. You know, like you can't, you can't bring your bullshit into a place and be so angry and rude to other people. It's not their fault. You're having a bad day. And, and, and especially with things the way they are now, fucking be patient. You know, everybody's understaffed and overworked and stressed and working in a pandemic to serve you your fucking wings. Be cool, man. Just be cool. (laughs) That's right. Okay, Valerie. Well, tell the people, how can they get in touch with you? Where, what are your socials? When, like, when can you, when do they get to see you live? And then finally, how do they get your album Beach Trash, which comes out tomorrow? So you can find me uh, on socials. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, at Valerie underscore Tossie. I have a TikTok. There's like two videos. My knees hurt when it rains. I'm old. I don't want to do it. So uh, I'll probably... (laughs) 
probably have videos on there at some point, but uh, I, I, that's that's my goal for like the next couple of weeks is to finally start clipping stuff out and putting it on there. Is that at um, Valerie underscore Tossi as well? Or is that yeah, everything? Yeah, I keep them all the same. Me too. Yeah, I keep Smart them the same across the board. It's, but yeah, it anybody matters. that's not doing that is literally just shooting yourself in the foot. I agree with that statement. And then- So I have all that. The the album is on, um, it's available for pre-order right now for iTunes and for Bandcamp. It's also, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably out. Yes. So um, you can find it on either one of those. Yes, you can listen to it on Spotify or you can listen to it on Pandora, but look, we don't make shit from that. And so uh, if you're going to do that because you don't feel like giving your money to Apple or something like that, that's cool. Uh, Venmo me, $9.99 at Valerie Tossi. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, you know, like I don't listen. I don't care where you listen to it, but just like, you know, just kick, just kick us a few bones. That's all. Spell it for me at V-A-L-E-R-I-E. That's Valerie. Last name, Tossie. T is in Tom. Oh, S is in Sam. I. There it is. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will actually help us, and it actually matters for the metrics for the show, and it means more people can find us, and it will be help people be schooled on the art of being kind and won't be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service from Hell, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks for being on, Valerie. Appreciate you. This was really Thanks fun. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, go buy her album. We'll see you later. Good night. Go for oh, us. Yeah, I'm so good. sorry. Good. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I've never <laughs> done this before. Very first interview of all time. So thanks for being a trooper. No, wait. No, it's not. I'm a liar. I was just kidding. I'm trying to make excuses okay, for like, why this is going on. I was like, help. wait, what? I was like, you <laughs> sent me links. <laughs> <laughs> nope. First time uh, ever. Uh,